This is the Traversityist. I'm Gretchen Carr, creator, producer, and host. I invite you to join me on an exploration of regional culture in and around Traverse City, Michigan. If you are new to this podcast, welcome. Be sure to check out our previous episodes. You can listen at TraverseCityist.com or wherever you get your podcasts. You're also invited to join our following on Instagram. Traverse City is a city of neighborhoods. Millions of visitors know Traverse City for its abundance of waterfront, miles of trails, and a strong, dynamic downtown. The neighborhoods are also becoming more recognized for their own set of valued characteristics. Within these neighborhoods are residents who love the convenience of living in a 15-minute city and the relationships they have with their neighbors. Traverse City is in the process of rewriting its master plan. The City Planning Department recently facilitated a series of neighborhood listening sessions. The data collected from these sessions will be used when rewriting the master plan. The City Planning Director, Sean Winter, states that the City knows that its residents just want to be heard and they appreciate engaging in dialogue. The format for official meetings doesn't facilitate that interaction, and so the city has made improved efforts to go to the people instead of asking the people to come to them. In this episode, we'll discover which Traverse City neighborhood is the most ecologically minded, which neighborhood wants more public art and a community garden, which neighborhoods are open to more diverse housing, how are the city's homeless residents faring? Which neighborhoods want to see more commercial development in their main corridors? And which neighborhoods want to keep things just as they are? This episode of The Traversityist is brought to you with the support of Dr. Christopher Moon in memory of Clara Moon and her love for the Traverse City community. In the state of Michigan, if a community is going to have a zoning ordinance to regulate land development, it is legally required to have a master plan. The master plan establishes the community's vision for its desired future as it relates to land use. The zoning ordinance is a tool to advance that vision. Therefore, the zoning ordinance regulations must be consistent with the master plan so that development limitations are not simply being adopted arbitrarily. The City Master Plan will be completed in the fall of 2023. You can visit tcmasterplan.org to view the planned project timeline with project phases, activity, and community engagement opportunities. But first, a folklore tidbit. According to Planning Director Sean Winter, the catalyst for the city's first master plan was in 1943, when residents of Old Town and the central neighborhoods raised concern over the odors that were coming from Deering's Meat Market, which still stands today and is located on the corner of 12th and Union. Eighty years later, Traverse City has experienced steady growth and change, but the original layout of the neighborhoods, for the most part, still remain. The neighborhood listening sessions were an opportunity for residents and the general public to communicate what they wanted to preserve, enhance, or transform in their neighborhood. 
over 240 residents from Traverse City's 14 neighborhoods and beyond participated. Sean Winter and his colleagues led the sessions. So what we want to do today is hear more about your neighborhood. So on the back of the map, there are three blocks. And we want to capture information within three different categories from you. The first is preserve. So the master plan obviously is looking 20 years into the future. And we know in 20 years things are going to change. But part of that conversation of change can be what aspects do we want to preserve. So within your own neighborhood, that's what we're focusing on, what is it that you love that you don't want to change? And if you can write that down, we're going to collect these at the end. And after having spoken to 200 people today, we desperately are going to rely on the written record. So please <laughs> write this down. Um, do you want our names on these? Or? If you want, you don't have to. Um, first block is preservation. The next one is enhanced. So these are going to be your low impact, small scale improvements that can be implemented in a pretty fast timeline. And you know your neighborhoods more intimately than we do. So maybe there's a block that needs more trees planted, or maybe there's a, a dark intersection that could use a light. So let us know what some of those enhancement potential options are. And then the last one is transformation. So this is large scale. We don't like this. We want a different vision. Let's start fresh. Like what are some of those problem areas? So what we'd like you to do right now is just spend a few minutes filling that out and then we'll just kind of go around and share and have a conversation. If you do get done with this and you haven't done so yet, um, we have some sticky notes and we'd love you just to list the things you love about your neighborhood. You can throw them up on that board. We've been doing this at each neighborhood. The city selected Beckett and Rader as the consultant firm to lead the master plan rewrite process. Beckett and Rader in turn hired Elise Kraft as a sub-consultant specifically to lead the community engagement component. So we're super grateful. This is the first time we've done this kind of activity for this process. Um, we've, we've held online surveys and public open houses like Sean mentioned where neighbors and residents were invited to attend along with a whole bunch of other people who might work in Traverse City, visit Traverse City, you know, ha have some relationship to Traverse City. Um, and we can isolate results by resident or non-resident, but this is the first time that we've you know, sent the call to just residents and specifically neighborhoods, and you're responding. So. A Traverse City resident herself, Elise Kraft is the principal of Placecraft, a community development firm. Combined with her past experience as a planner in the local public sector, she has formed strong community relationships. The first meeting of the series began at the Hickory Hills Ski Lodge for the community of Morgan Farms. So thank you very much. It's such a pleasure to put these events together and have a full room. Thank you for showing up today. We'd love to just go around and get your name and maybe the street you live on. Um, I assume that some of you know some of you, but it would be fun just to hear where you're coming from. And then I'll dive into our um, pretty straightforward goals for today's conversation. So, I don't know, sir, could you kick us off with your name and street? The format for each listening session began with introductions, and then the work began. Established in the mid-2000s, Morgan Farms is situated on the border of Grand Travers and Leelanau counties. The youngest neighborhood in the city, it is designated as a private community with city sewer and water services. As their website states, the development was modeled after the communities of old, where neighbors truly knew each other and people waved as they passed by. Overall, the participants in this session wanted to enhance communication. Yeah, go ahead. Would you please explain the exact relationship between zoning 
um, in City of Traverse City and the PUD, the planned unit development that Morgan Burns was formed under. For example, lighting, Morgan, the Michigan Planning Enabling Act talks about the PUD having its own zoning with specific requirements that are hard and fast requirements separate from the city zoning. But the lighting ordinance was put in place after the PUD. So there's, what is the give and take and the rights and responsibilities in that relationship? So zoning governs land use throughout the city. Um, the PUD is a tool that creates its own kind of zoning exceptions or zoning ordinance for a specific area. And it's gonna call out where the zoning is gonna deviate from the base zoning of the PUD, where it doesn't call out or prescribe different standards than the underlying standards would apply. And now like in Morgan Farms, there's a pattern book related to lighting and stuff like that. So your lighting fixtures will look different than we use throughout the rest of the city. Boy, if you could provide some kind of a cheat sheet that explains what is absolutely governed by the Morgan Farms PUD and master document and what is absolutely governed by the city ordinances, that, that would probably clear up a lot of confusion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're seeing some heads not around the room. Great. How about at this table? What, what emerged for you with Preserve Enhance Transform? Well, I think we would echo what the other tables have said. Sure. Um, perhaps we have an issue that came up at our table that maybe it's not a master plan issue, but uh, we keep stressing that we're a private community and we have an infrastructure, our roads, our curbs, which are in the future going to require major work. Mm -hmm. uh, we understand that there was some type of an arrangement with the city that we would be have private roads and the city would not maintain them. I think that's going to be a huge issue for Morgan Farms going forward. Um, the city planning team assured the residents of Morgan Farms that their voices would be heard. You know, the master plan is identifying the fact that communities over time, they will change. That's reality. They're going to change. So we want to know how you want that to change. And, and part of that conversation of change is, what do you want to preserve? That's what's key. You know, like everyone gets um, kind of nervous of change because it's unexpected, but what can we focus our energies on to preserve what you love best about your neighborhood? So then it was off to the next listening session to one of the city's oldest neighborhoods. The central neighborhood met in the basement of the Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Residents take pride in the brick tree-lined streets and the stately Victorian homes. The neighborhood is currently home to two schools, one of which is a large historic building in the center of the neighborhood. Preservation is the primary focus for central neighborhood residents. Well, we definitely want to preserve our non-commercialized neighborhood as much as possible. The commercialization of downtown keeps moving closer, you know, like one block over, one block over. I want families to live in my neighborhood. Okay, so preserve the non-commercial character of central I would say also preserve the historic character of our neighborhood. Okay. We worked hard to get it designated as a historic district. Mm -hmm. The Victorian homes, the feel of the neighborhood, having the school, the city working with the public school system. We would like to, as far as what should be preserved, we like the walkability, we like, we like the neighborhood feel of that it is very residential now, and so really don't want to see zoning changes that increase density because we feel we're already have a lot of zoning um, or dense housing options. We have a lot of duplexes already and um, corner lots that have been split and we have a lot of ADUs and so we don't want to see zoning changed. So I, ultimately to me, 
we have to focus on what the homeowner's desires are and not some renters or outside property investors. So just to summarize, so preserving trees, green spaces, the character of the neighborhood, the residential character of the neighborhood. Any policies that encourage owner occupancy and somewhat discourage outside property investors from kind of using this as a commercial uh, application. So, I, you know, they, they, some people talk about the current zoning laws as restrictive. Well, they are, but I look at them as our protection. Our current zoning, I think we have to protect our property. Enhancement and transformation for the central neighborhood residents meant focusing on Hannah Park and maintaining the streets. More attention needs to be paid to Hannah Park. Um, more picnic tables for a start. And I don't know if the playground equipment would be inappropriate. Yes. And transformation, almost nothing. Please be aware that Central Neighborhood has no park that is open for children all day long. We depend entirely on the largesse of the Traverse City Public School System to allow us to use their playgrounds after school hours. I would just like to say about the condition of the streets. Um, I know the city has been pushing to make this bicycle friendly, which I'm really big for. But they're, the way they're doing it is by ignoring the condition of our roads. Okay. The, you know, it's just unbelievable. You have to have a Hummer now to get through from <laughs> 14th Street down to the bay to avoid these park uh, uh, As for the nearby 14th Street business corridor, one neighbor echoed the theme of traffic calming. I think 14th needs to be enhanced so that it has more trees, it has more character to it. When you walk down 14th, you're just blasted with cars. Across 14th Street, the residents of the Fernwood neighborhood, also known as SOFO, were ready for their turn. This session took place in an old church, now transformed into a community space known as the Circuit. Fernwood is a neighborhood that appears to be in transition as it contains a mix of historic homes and newer homes. While this meeting had far fewer people than the first two meetings of the morning, the conversation was more intimate. Sean Winter, a resident of the Fernwood neighborhood, started off the meeting. I can start. That would be awesome. One thing that I want to preserve living in the neighborhood is the easy accessibility that we have to a lot of day-to-day -day amenities. Like, it's really nice to easily get to a grocery store, a pharmacy, you know, all the things we have in our commercial corridor. Uh, I'd also like to preserve, it's kind of quiet, you know, we're kind of tucked away from the rest of the city, but we have the convenience of being very close to downtown and stuff. But I like that it's also a neighborhood where we have a lot of families living compared to some others, and maybe it's just me a little more attainable. We live here because it's where we can afford when we move back in 2015. So enhance for me, I think, would be, it'd be nice to have a little more lighting in the neighborhood. It's pretty dark. We got schools that kids walk to in the winter months. It's pretty pitch black. Not that we want to illuminate the night sky. And maybe that could be addressed by us all turning on the porch lights at in the morning or something like that. Um, for transform, for me, obviously, it's 14th Street. It means needs to be completely redone. It'd be nice to have a, a nice corridor. One resident stated a general observation which prompted more participation. But I've noticed a lot more foot traffic over the past, I don't know, 10 years. 
a lot more young people, as you mentioned, are moving in. Uh, I would say a lot of folks perhaps uh, commute to downtown by way of bicycle and foot. Yeah, connecting the neighborhood to the rest of the town, as well as the Borman Trail. It's right there, but crossing Cass is treacherous. So I think there's like two points of consideration for our neighborhood mm -hmm. um, that I would say. And then the co traffic calming measures, I think, I don't know, a traffic circle or something to calm that down. And I really like your suggestion, I would vote for a public space, like you said, a park. Your points are extremely well taken. It, it's really nice and quiet, and like 17th between Union and uh, your street. It, it's really, really quiet, really awesome. Mm -hmm. However, South Union Street uh, is exceptionally uh, fast traffic, <clears throat> yeah. and I'm extremely concerned about the number of young people that we have in our neighborhood who uh, their lives are at risk, I think, with the uh, fast-moving traffic, and I don't know if anyone else agrees with that. I agree a thousand percent. I mean, we call the cops several times because our daughter stands at the corner of 15th and Union, and, you know, getting almost run over by cars running the lights and you know dark in the morning um yeah it's bad in the corner of 14th and union i've been almost hit several times just trying to cross the street well uh we seem to have a real problem uh draining water off our streets at, at these corners 16th and 15th in particular um come to mind for me uh 15th will come up over the curb on a heavy rain. Oh, so, the intersection with Union? Yeah. So, uh, I, I, I'm the kind of guy who thinks that when you take care of your inter infrastructure, everything else can kind of follow. I would certainly like to see is the ability to cross 14th Street safely at some point in time either by bicycle or by foot. And uh, I personally use Union Street because the light is there. For the residents of the Fernwood neighborhood, the desire for more connectivity was a primary theme. They wanted safer pedestrian access across 14th Street, along with enhanced lighting, improved sidewalks, and curbs. Next, it was on to meet with a trio of neighborhoods at the new Common Grounds building on 8th Street. The three neighborhoods of Old Town, Midtown, and the newly added Lake Ridge, which is situated along the West Boardman Lake next to an active railroad corridor, all have easy access to the Boardman Loop Tart Trail, Old Town Playhouse, Oriana Food Co-op, and the Old Town Business District. I think one of the biggest challenges and one of the biggest opportunities for the city, and frankly I have been a bit of a drumbeat to the DDA folks on this subject, is maintenance of our infrastructure. We have some improvements we'd like to see. I'd like to see them paint the rails up and down the boardman. They're rusty. They don't look very good. but. Next to the rails is all the trash that accumulates. Go next. To sure. 
for as far as preserve goes, of course, the condos and homes, Oriana, the Bourbon Lake Loop, I mean, they're all beautiful. I, I love the Bourbon Lake Loop. <laughs> okay, what can be enhanced? There's a bit, and I marked letters by these and put it on the map on the other side. Fabulous. So there's, there's a bus, business, I think it's a glass company near Oriana there, and they have the site drainage problem. They're, they're constantly flooding over the sidewalks in that area. In the winter, it's all ice and things. So generally, I'll just take the Gordon Lake Loop around and come up the back way to Oriana when I'm walking to Oriana. But it, it's pretty bad, <laughs> and it's kind of a mess. And a lot of people want to stay on the sidewalks. Sure. What can be transformed? Just, I have the same as Dan, the left turn lane uh -huh. at 14th and Cass. I mean, uh -huh. you never know. Two, lane, two people could be next to each other there, both going straight through, and it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and that asphalt pad, I have that one that, by the railroad mm -hmm. over there, by the trail. And there's broken glass on oh, that yeah. constantly. I mean, the railroad came and cleaned it up about a year ago, and immediately it was litter with broken glass again. Then the other one, which I don't know what we do about, the, there's, there's a homeless problem, of course. <laughs> there are people camping along the tarp trail, the drugs and alcohol. I mean, homeless, I don't mind homeless, I'd rather have them have a home, <laughs> but as far as the drugs and things and yelling at people that walk by, that something needs to be done. Sure, sure. And I think they're trying to do that with the homeless shelters in the area. Sure, well this is the feedback we're looking for, so thank you. Um, preserved, so we're in Old Town, agree with everything everyone says about the Boardman Lake section, the good parts about it. The MDOT section, I agree, needs to be cleaned up. Ideally, it'd be nice to have a park for kids. We have a young child who doesn't really have a park okay. in our neighborhood. Um, and what should be enhanced, 11th and 10th streets, they are very dark at night and also full of potholes rather hard to bike and specifically between Cass and Lake. Mm -hmm. um, and then what should be transformed, again we're on Lake Avenue, which is a giant cut through and kind of treated as like an alleyway at this time. Yeah. Our road needs major stormwater improvement, our sidewalks flood all the time and we could use curbs and additional beautification with like a tree line. Um, it's a very cool neighborhood, we have a lot going on. It doesn't look like it though. Yeah, I will say that your sidewalk on the way from 8th Street to Oriana yeah. is very, very dangerous with the ice. Very, yeah. very, mm -hmm. yeah. very. Four down, seven to go. The next morning, the team started in the basement of the Travers Bay Methodist Church in Slabtown. Residents of both Kids Creek Commons and Slabtown neighborhoods were in attendance. Um, elements came up to preserve and transform. We, we one of the things that we talked about is interesting to several of us how the perimeter areas, the business churches, etc., are not involved in the community. Okay. And that they, you know, okay, you look at the map and the business streets are not in any association or area. And then Immaculate Conception, they're out of this, a neighborhood association. They should be part of the neighborhood and therefore be uh, to some of the discussions we have as a community. Yeah. What else? Um, the way the commercial district that surrounds the neighborhoods has been developed. Okay. You know, we brought up about the Sox building uh -huh. and how that is just there. 
and it's basically, I believe, sh more, most short-term rental. The lights, there's never maybe one or two lights on throughout the week, but the way that was done. Mm -hmm. And what it has done to a, a local business, the Dairy Lodge, that has been there for decades, mm -hmm. is basically surrounded it. Yeah, so, so again, coming back to that kind of scale and the underlying mm -hmm. zoning that's allowing... And it doesn't, you know, gently, it butts right up to the neighborhood, and it's it's like the neighborhood and the Sox building. Okay, okay. Anything else? I, I don't think we can solve the housing problems in Traverse City within the city limits without really altering and destroying the character within our neighborhoods. So a desire to preserve the neighborhood character as it exists yes. today. And, and not just create more housing, trying to solve that problem which is not solvable within the city limits okay. without screwing up our neighborhoods. I'd also like to see no weekly rentals in our neighborhood because of noise and out-of-town partiers and drinkers. Uh, leave it the family-friendly, small community neighborhood that we are. Anything else? Yeah. It, uh, enhanced pedestrian, bicycle access and egress to in the, the neighborhoods, uh -huh. to the bay, to downtown area. Great. You know, it's good within the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. it, it's difficult to egress. That's, yeah, great, great comment. And I think that we've heard that twice now and we'll probably continue to. Slabtown is also home to a community school. Well, along with that, with Ashton Park, the kids uh, get dropped off um, often a lot of times on Wayne and they get to walk through the natural trails to get to school and they get to exercise that independence so to preserve those natural trails okay. um, is, is a great thing. Sometimes they're built. The adjacent neighborhood known as Kids Creek Commons features one of the largest historic renovation projects in the country, the village at Grand Traverse Commons, a former state-funded asylum built in the late 19th century. The Kids Creek runs through the neighborhood and the residents want to preserve and enhance the health and beauty of the creek. So uh, another big concern for us is the Commons natural area between yes. Division and Silver Drive. That has just turned into, in, in three years, it's turned into... The it, encampment. It is, it is sad, and you can't see it from division, so don't think what you're looking at from division is what's there. You need to go down the tar trail mm -hmm. and see what they've done, to what's been happening to the creek mm -hmm. and that whole area. Mm -hmm. And it used to be a beautiful place to walk. Yeah, thanks for raising that. I think that's the first time that's come up. It was time to head to the next neighborhood and some lunch. Raduno, a popular cafe along the 8th Street corridor, hosted the residents of Boardman and Oak Park. The residents want to preserve the historic character, but many express the desire for more accessory dwelling units, also known as granny flats or garçonniers. So I'm in favor of increased density, uh, particularly uh, via ADUs. I, I think it promotes economic diversity. I think it promotes age diversity in the neighborhoods to have either younger folks that are starting out or the mother-in-law. Uh, so I'm, I'm in favor of expanding ADUs in the garage apartments with limitations. There was also concern regarding the proximity of the Safe Harbor Homeless Shelter. I would also love to see a comprehensive discussion about Safe Harbor and the homeless shelter. 
uh, particularly in light of some of the proposals to make it year-round. Um, I, I do think it's been problematic. It's problematic at the library. It's problematic with people that are clearly in crisis in the middle of the street yelling obscenities. Um, and and when, it, when, it, when it was proposed, it was an emergency seasonal homeless shelter. Now there's discussion about making it year-round. And I personally believe it's one of those, if, if you build it, they will come. And people from around the area and the region have come to our neighborhood. Enhancing and transforming one of the city's largest public parks was also on the minds of many parents. Is there another comment at the end here? I'll jump on the park. So I've got two young kids, seven and two. And I just think FM Park's a place where a little bit of investment could go a long way okay. uh, to enhance for both kind of that, I think, age group from seven to 12. You know, the, the railroad playground, although it's cute, is not great for that age kid. And then I think also that the gazebo, I think could really be transformed into kind of a, a larger bandstand for more nice community gatherings. I took for granted when we moved here that there would be parks galore that are accessible to kids of that age. And it's, at least as far as I've seen so far, it seems like that's the one nearby for our kids. So I think a little investment there could go a long way in bringing the families that I think everybody likes to see uh, around, for sure. Great. Yeah, go ahead. I'd like to add... And I'll take a rake, by the way. I'm happy to take a rake. One man shouted from the corner of the cafe the impact of the short-term rental and how it could impact housing in the neighborhood. You probably heard the, some people in the Michigan legislature voting to that Traverse City should have more short-term rentals. But uh, I think we need to dig in and maintain or strengthen the regulations on short-term rentals. That's the, you know, keeping them longer term is the key to preserving any kind of affordable housing in this area. And of course, the echo of safety for pedestrians. Better enhanced uh, pedestrian crossing at Franklin and 8. It's hard to get across there and Please no traffic light because don't want you don't need any more traffic on Franklin. But like flashing lights like are mid block on either side, they're too far away for people to use crossing on Franklin. There's a lot of pedestrian crossing there. And then there was a shout for the trees. So we kind of got distracted, but I'll throw out there that um, we uh, I think we would all agree that. Maintaining the tree canopy we have and improving it, especially along State Street where it's sparse or where these giant old trees have come out, an active measure to plant lots of replacement trees, I, I'm guessing is universally at least. Trees! Trees! trees. trees. More trees. Yeah, The next stop was the base of the Old Mission Peninsula. Their residents recently organized the newest neighborhood association known as BOOM. They collectively voiced their biggest concern, the future of the large wooded parcel owned by Northwestern Michigan College. Something needs to be done with this, with this college property. property. I mean, we've been here 30-some years. Other than them holding on to it, they've got no plans for it. Access to it is actually restricted. They don't want you up there. Something, if something could be done to make it more open to the people who live here. There are paths. I mean, people are on there all the time. So it's. I mean, I'm not denying that people use it, but still, they don't like you there. We don't go there because the gates. It's a liability closed. thing. Yeah. 
I always go there. He breaks a lot of laws, though. He's yeah. always, we're always. He's pretty wide. Echo everyone's concerns about that MC property that we we would like to be able to maintain public access for all non-destructive forms of recreation. Everyone. Many of the boom residents echoed their concern for the safety of pedestrians and cyclists. But um, as someone who grew up in Traverse City, the peninsula is much more developed and traffic continues to increase. And with that, um, pedestrian safety on East Shore, Eastern, Quail Ridge, and Sheridan um, are becoming more and more difficult. And I would echo, I'm also grateful we haven't seen a fatality. I've seen three accidents from my, my own living room window. Um, and then finally, um, one thing we talked about too was that we wish there was a safer way to get across Peninsula Drive to Bryant Park. It's really hard to do that as a pedestrian right now. Yeah, I was on Peninsula Court and a lot of people cut through our road. Um, that East Shore Drive is basically a recreational trail for all of us, <laughs> except it's not so good anymore because it's just, it's just flat out dangerous. You know, I don't know if something could be done to partner with Peninsula Township or Tark Trails where they add. There are so many bikers, so many runners, so many walkers that use that road. It's, it's half use, really, and yet it's getting more and more dangerous all the time. So, The nearby access to public beaches brought up swimming safety. And then put swim buoys at East Bay Park, put them in early and yes. out far enough because it seemed like, I'm not sure if anybody here has the pontoon boats that are like ankle deep in the water and then so the kids can't even get in the water because the pontoon boats are right there and nobody ever uses them, they just kind of sit there and float for the whole summer. And it's because they don't put the buoys in early enough that the pontoon boats have to kind of stay away a little bit. The Boom neighborhood was the only neighborhood to mention the term climate change. As I listen to everybody, I have not heard anybody mention the climate crisis, and it is happening whether you believe it or not, and the scientific part of it is out. We need to have more solar, the zoning needs to change, or the whatever is keeping people from putting zoning solar on their homes. Trees are critical. We need more education on why they are so valuable for our health and getting rid of the CO2. Uh, they are precious. And I'm wondering why trees are being cut. I don't know if uh, they got permits or not, but there certainly needs to be a lot more education about it because you're supposed to have a permit to, to cut them in the city. And I know the college has cut a bunch. Um, I just want to reiterate um, how high on the priority list the NMC parcel preserving that 55 acres that's the last unhealth parcel in the Traverse City area and um, it's the lungs of the city. It's a huge, as Ann Rogers said, it's a huge carbon sink. We don't realize how important trees, mature trees are to our, our neighborhoods in our city. And that's why people want to come here, whether they realize it or not. A parent spoke up about parks and echoed the theme of reducing our carbon footprint. Yeah, thanks. I'm speaking mostly as a dad. I have an eight-year-old and three-year-old. We live on Comanche. We love all of the parks. We walk and bike to 
Indian Woods, East Bay, uh, Bryant Park, and, and the Civic Center. We really appreciate the way Indian Woods Park was redone. It's very natural, as little cement as possible. And I think as we push for more parks, public spaces, and gardens, as natural as possible, you know, um, wooden structures, stumps, are, are make great elements in playscapes. Um, so more of that, if at all possible. And I'm going to put a plug in here for a citywide composting program, city composting. It's a great way to reduce our carbon footprint. I mean, there. Last but not least, housing, both in terms of the short-term rental and the accessory dwelling unit, was also mentioned. We like that there aren't a lot of Airbnbs with folks partying and blah, blah, and um, yeah, interfering with our quietness. Things to preserve our, our familiar faces, I treasure the relationships in this neighborhood, um, that it is quiet and uh, that it is multi-generational, mm -hmm. um, I think, and that it is relatively affordable, at least um, in the Indian Woods portion. So um, I'd like to see consideration for maybe some financial support for, um, you know, if you're looking for more density, maybe put some money behind that support for ABUs. They're hugely expensive to build. I don't think many people can afford to come up with $100,000 and then pay increased property taxes on top of it. Um, and, uh, At the close of the Boom Neighborhood Meeting, there was an announcement from one participant to form another neighborhood association. Um, and uh, just an FYI, lots of folks from Indian Woods, I'll be outside afterwards with a sign-up sheet. We're trying to build some momentum for our own neighborhood association. From there, the planning team headed to Mundo's along the busy corridor of Garfield Avenue. Mundo's, a newer coffee shop, had great music playing, which unfortunately made it a little difficult to capture audio conversation. A group of six residents sat around the table. This conversation echoed many of the themes already mentioned by other neighborhoods, including the preservation of knowing their neighbors and the peace and quiet of the nearby parks. Wishes for enhancement included safer pedestrian access and improving our roads. One resident acknowledged that Traverse City was indeed the heart of the region, with many people outside the area using the city's infrastructure. This led to the question of how the tax increment financing, or TIF, worked. Sean Winter summarized it well. So a lot of people are coming downtown, that's wear and tear on the infrastructure, but they don't live in the city, so they're not paying their fair share of the wear and tear. So tax increment financing, or a TIF district, says, you know what? We're going to take whatever the value is that's assessed right now, and that's going to be the starting point. And over the next 20 years, as that value goes up, and that money goes to all to the county and stuff like that, we're going to take that money and it's going to get captured and be invested within the DDA to pay for that infrastructure. So that's the only regional cost-sharing tool that the city has to get the surrounding people that don't live in our city to pay for improvements. Which so for me, is huge. It's huge, you know, because we. We do. We shoulder the burden of the whole region. So we, and it's the only way we can get money in from those other people. And if we don't have it, we're going to lose right. money. Another resident asked why so many marijuana establishments had been permitted in the Oakwood Triangle neighborhoods. I sat next to Linda Colbert, 
one of the Traverse City Commissioners and a member of the City Planning Commission. She attended several of the listening sessions. We joked how the tax revenue from the pot stores could fix the potholes in our roads. The last in-person meeting returned to the Common Grounds Building, where the neighborhoods of Traverse Heights and North Boardman, also known as Nobo, met together. This smaller group covered a lot of topics, from water quality to community gardens to the trees and road maintenance and those who are homeless. Linda Cobert added her thoughts. Yeah, so what I, uh, what I love about my neighborhood is the walkability. I really do live in a 15-minute city, uh, which I love, and I would never move anywhere else because uh, I love having a 15-minute city. I like access to the beta, which is easy, and I love uh, sitting on my porch and looking at the historic government buildings that are maintained beautifully, and I love all that. Uh, what should be enhanced, the same as we've heard in every neighborhood, road and curb maintenance has to happen now. Potholes can't be patched anymore. And I worry about the tree maintenance as well. We plant trees, but then we don't maintain them and count on residents to water them. Yeah. That's a problem. Uh, what should be transformed in this neighborhood is we absolutely have to bury the utility lines in the attic. In the, uh, I said the attic. The <laughs> alley. You've been to a lot of these too. Holy cow. A longtime resident expressed her concern regarding future housing density and the quality of the city water. You can't possibly even consider adding any more housing. The city's answer to adding to, to our drinking water is to add more chlorine. I can't even stand next to my sink anymore at five o'clock. I can tell you exactly the time they put the chlorine mm. to our city water. Green spaces and traffic calming were on the mind of a new dad. Yeah. yeah. All right, Nick, you wanna run through your list? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mine is certainly very similar in what needs to be preserved. Um, we've got some great old growth trees in our neighborhood that predate, I'm pretty sure, any of the houses in, <laughs> in the neighborhood. Um, we're also lucky to have some great green space and the dark trail runs right through. So I'm sure no, chan, uh, no plan rather to change any of that, but that's fantastic. Um, as far as what should be enha uh, enhanced, we live on Rose Street and like a lot of property owners all over the place, we'd like to see more stop signs. Mm -hmm. It's a convenient cut through for Garfield traffic. And, you know, outside of normal hours, um, it, it's an easy cut through also for county um, road vehicles. Mm -hmm. Like, we get that. They're going to fly through at 3 a.m. That's cool. But, um, yeah, more stop signs would be great. And then I think I am going to go home and think a little bit more about what we'd want to see transformed. So I'll submit that online. Okay. Um, yeah. I'd like to see a lot more chickens and gardens and mother? fewer lawns. A young mom wanted to see more development along the business corridors in Traverse Heights. As far as um, enhancing, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for our corridors: Garfield, Woodmere, Hannah, Carver. Uh, for businesses like I think that um, and I think that the residents that are going to be living in Trevor sites year-round um, You know would also support those businesses. Um, it's very walkable bikeable and so like, you know We can easily go down. It's too bad agave closed um, public art I think there's improvements that we can make be make we've got the tar trail that runs through again a lot of these little pocket parks so I think that public art could be something um, that could really kind of enhance the neighborhood as far as in, uh, transforming the neighborhood, uh, we could um, um, benefit from some lighting improvements. 
Um, I typically don't scare easy, but Bates, uh, when it's when the moon's not out, is black. It's a very dark, dark street, and I know that I'm not the only one, um, the only black. So I think just some any kind of lighting improvement um, would be helpful. Laura Mattis piped in. She is the assistant planner for the city and resides in the Travers Heights neighborhood. I'd love if there was a community garden, which would be kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I think community gardens are really great. So I think you could build a lot of like culture and character and beautify. So. And you also have the water, which just gives you a dead line. Um, but one thing that I don't think was mentioned, and I mean, Nicole kind of touched on it, is it was the affordable housing area. My fiance and I, it's like an emotional conversation on if we can stay here. His family is, I can almost see their house. And they're kind of the only family we got. And we'd love to stay here, but everything is $400,000. So I'd love diverse housing stuff. There's two that sold, uh, one steps from my house that just sold for um, $229. And then one down on Rose just got Yeah, it depends what condition they're something. in. Yeah. You know, some of the elderly, they're they're going to like flies. This is spring, and that's I hate to say it. That's and those houses are, are a buy, but you have to be willing to put some work into it. We've got to put a lot. Hours. We have yeah. we've been working on it for eight years. Yeah, <laughs> I've been yeah. working on it for thirty. Yeah, we care. Yeah, I guess it's the problem is like there's there's such few stock in what's available too that like you do need to go quite a bit over asking also because right. we yeah. stock the housing market like it's our second job oh, and you it's guys are renting, right? yeah. yeah and so it's just something that I'd like to see in there is some different opportunities because like right now we don't have kids it'd be awesome to be in a duplex mm-hmm. but we don't are there duplexes in that area I haven't seen the Reverend Jim Para, rector of Grace Episcopal Church, attended this session. His parish, along with Central United Methodist Church, other organizations, and individual volunteers, have invested time, money, and energy into caring for Traverse City's homeless population. He expressed his desire for that effort to be preserved. Um, we, we now, during the cold months, like just this year, got to the place where there's wraparound care for homeless people, mm-hmm. uh, that they go from breakfast at Central, all day at Jubilee House, and then to Safe Harbor, um, and that is wonderful and, and somewhat fragile at this point, and so maintaining that both like because it feels good uh, and because it has been successful in making access to some of our other city amenities um, more pleasant. Jim continued to share what he has observed within our homeless community. Very often, the thing that keeps them from getting off the streets is that if you don't have the wherewithal to fill out a stack of paperwork this high, you can't get services you need. And funny story, uh, the same people who can't figure out how to hold down a job or stay in a house aren't really able to wade all by themselves through a 100-page stack of so we're, we're working on that too. So and there's a number of agencies in town too that yeah. work on it. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on the Child Family Services Board. And, yeah. um, and they're all hurting financially. So it's, it's going to be harder and harder to provide more and more services because well, yeah. of I just, the dollars. I'll shut up after saying, I think my argument is simply more services creates a safer environment for all of us. Yes. 
Uh, I spend time every day with homeless people. Um, I have yet to hear the story of I came here because I hear it's Shangri-La and the streets are paved with gold for homeless people. Um, it's always, you know, I got off the, I, I, my boyfriend beat me up and I got off the bus here. I this, I that, right? There, there, there is no, I, I know it mathematically feels like it ought to be so. We are not a site of designation for homeless people. Like Portland. Yeah. Yeah. But the attitudes here are much more lenient. I came from a large city and it's overrun there and here it's I've commented a few times about that like it'd be easy to be a homeless person here and I have heard them I walk the Boardman Lake every day and I've heard them talking about how great it is <laughs> it is great it's I don't know that it'd be place. easy to be a homeless person anywhere but well, no, yeah. I, you know, but I mean just in in larger cities they're really cracking down in certain ways and here it, it doesn't seem like that I wondered what the homeless wanted to see preserved, enhanced, or transformed in their community. So I visited the Jubilee House on Washington Street, a facility serving the homeless population operated by the Grace Episcopal Church. I sat down with one of the guests. Yes, you are being somewhat, uh, somewhat liable, light, lightly on them. You're giving them way too much than they most of the people homeless right now have gotten more now than they ever have in their own home. Here in Traverse City. Here in Traverse City, yeah. Okay, what happens is you've given a lot of people a lot of things that are abusing the situation. If some type of floor mat would be set up to where you work for a day, we'll give you those blue jeans. Brand new pair, you know, there's quite, and we'll feed you. The city of Traverse City could have done something about it a long time ago. Now they're faced with an objection from the homeowners that place thousands of dollars on their property. I, I feel for, I would not want somebody out in front of my house, stone drunk, stoned high, and creating a disturbance when I paid 160000 or 200000 for my house. I would expect to move into a decent neighborhood. But in that same time, you've got to look out for us homeless that these businesses I can are locking up water spigots. They're not even putting a toilet out at the park for the homeless to use. This is not treating a human like a human. This is treating a human like a dog. And that's what uh, the homeless people, I would say 90% of them are more intelligent than the people starting these committees. They're very smart. They have been trained in different fields, different operations. They are very smart indeed. It's unfortunate that Traverse City didn't look at it 15 years ago when they realized this problem was going to become bigger, and it has, because there is over, right now, there is over 200 people out in those pines. He went on to offer his perspective, which included the topic of rehabilitation. See, every one of us, every one of the homeless people have an agenda that they'd love to get done, but they don't know and they don't have the, the education with people enough to get them to do that. Because start with, they're very untrust, they don't trust anybody. They don't even trust their mom. You, you're talking with a, several different disorders. It's going to take more money trying to straighten that pines up than it would to put them in a hospital one by one and get their help they need. 
sincerely, not just a number and a name and down the road you go. They're tired of that. They experience more of that in a lifetime of two years on the streets than they do, you do, for the whole time through life. Finally, the series of listening sessions concluded on Saturday morning with two virtual Zoom meetings. About 20 people representing most of the neighborhoods participated. There were also a few residents from outside the city. The conversations centered around the theme of housing diversity and density. One central neighborhood resident spoke from the perspective of an outsider. I drive around and like on Five Mile and Hammond, they're I mean, they're building housing, but they're building it so spread out that I feel like, um, but because we, we don't want to change like our specific setting, we're sleepwalking into becoming Grand Rapids and we're just going to spread out. We, we'll still have the growth, but it'll be all around the edges and all of that will require a lot more infrastructure that's more expensive to maintain. As much as we want walkable, none of it'll be walkable because everything's so spread out that you have to drive everywhere. A Slabtown resident stated his fear. I don't share a wall with another residence. I got my own private lot. Um, and, you know, there's not 500 people living on my block. I don't live in a dense city. I like that. Mm -hmm. I, I think I'm afraid we're going to kill the goose that laid the golden egg. We're, we want to share what we have with people, but I'm afraid we'll, in the process, destroy what we have. A young educator living on the outskirts of the city understood his fear, but also expressed her desire to feel more connected to Traverse City. You know, they've, they've done it, they've built that, they've invested in their neighborhoods. How can we both honor that and give access to people that want to invest uh, and be part of the community? A resident who once lived on the outskirts, but now lives at the base of Old Mission, stated the obvious and shrugged her shoulders. You know, it's expensive to live here. There's a lot of rich retirees here that are competing with young families. And then a Boardman neighborhood resident expressed his desire for inclusivity. I think we need to be the best community in America that's out solving this problem and not just kicking it down the road and letting somebody else solve it. If that, that next generation of younger people are our heart and soul for success. And if they can't find housing, they'll go someplace else. Overall, there were 10 themes that resonated in all the neighborhoods. Number one, the people value their relationships they have with their neighbors. Number two, the people want to feel connected to the community at large and safe pedestrian crossings seem to be the easiest way to connect business and residential communities. Number three, the people want to keep the traffic calm. Number four, 
The people want the city infrastructure to be properly maintained. Roads, sidewalks, the water supply, river walk railings, and public drinking fountains. Number five, some neighborhoods are more open to increased density, but with a strong tilt to aesthetic and better design. Number six, short-term rentals, or Airbnbs, are not popular. If any Traverse City resident is in favor of short-term rentals, they did not voice it or show up at these meetings. Number seven, accessory dwelling units, or ADUs, are popular. Many residents voice the necessity for ADUs in order to maintain economic and age diversity. Number eight, all the residents love trees. The city should plant them everywhere and give their arborist a raise. Number nine, it is very clear that there is a conflict of philosophies regarding the care we provide our homeless population. A serious discussion is warranted. Number 10, everyone cares about Traverse City's children, from safe routes to schools, to more parks and better playground equipment. The well-being and safety of our children is important. If you were unable to attend the listening sessions, there are more opportunities available for the public to take part in the process of the master plan. If you want to see something preserved, enhanced, or transformed in Traverse City, you can visit tcmasterplan.org and complete the online survey. It's live and available until May 7, 2023. The Park Place is hosting an event on May 16th at 7 p.m. where the public can speak with members of the City Planning Commission and discuss goals of addressing housing in the city. Sean Winter and his planning team will be reviewing all the submitted data from the listening sessions. The project will be completed in the fall of 2023. You can visit tcmasterplan.org to view the planned project timeline with project phases, activity, and community engagement opportunities. The Traverse Cityist will continue to cover the story of the Traverse City Master Plan in future episodes. You can become a follower to the Traverse Cityist on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm Gretchen Carr. Thank you for listening to the Traverse Cityist. This episode of the Traverse Cityist was brought to you with the support of Dr. Christopher Moon in memory of Clara Moon and her love for the Traverse City community.